Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. All right. So we got to get started here because we got a lot to talk about. We're going to recap last week. We're going to go uh, right into this week um, as well. And um, But I wanted to talk just for a, a split second today um, about... Mother's Day, and um, it's not going to be a Mother's Day message um, per se, but I, I just wanted to talk for a minute about how God views women and God views mothers, and uh, we, we get some, some mixed messages, I think, in our society today um, uh, of the, the, the value and the view, and, and we've got all sides of the spectrum and all sides of the aisle. I, I can say with confidence that God is the original feminist. I can say that with confidence. And I see that through the scripture and especially in all over, all over uh, the world today, um, Proverbs 31 is being read. And in Proverbs 31, it talks about the, the definition of uh, a, a virtuous woman. And this is how I can say for certain that God is a feminist because the definition of a feminist or feminism is valuing and placing it at high value women. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has placed such a high value on you, on moms, on, on women, on wives. On, he has placed such a, a high value on when I see this, it says in, in Proverbs 31 and verse 10, who can find a virtuous wife or a virtuous woman? And when I read the word virtuous, I look that up to see what it meant in the original text. And it's talking about a warrior, a soldier. Who can find someone who is a soldier to stand beside them? Who can find someone who is of honor to stand beside them? And he's saying if you find that, then you found a great thing. You found a great thing. Who can find a, a virtuous wife? It says her worth is far above rubies, her value. It says that the heart of her husband safely trusts her and she will have no lack of gain. And she does him good. She doesn't do him evil all the days of her life. It goes on to talk about how she, she's a, a businesswoman and how she uh, is very well respected in the community and how her children bring honor to her and how she has done a, a fabulous job of not only managing the home but also managing the community. That this isn't a, a, a position that God intends for someone just to stand behind as maybe some have alluded to. But this is someone that is out and leading in their community, that is out and leading in their household, that when the, the, the wife is joined to the husband, then she makes the husband better. And then they can go out and together accomplish what God has called them to accomplish. And there's nothing that they cannot accomplish. See, the scripture tells us this, that one can put 1,000 to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. So if I take just me and I try to do everything by myself, I can put a 1,000 to flight. But when I add my wife, man, we're unstoppable. Why is that? Because of the, the value and because of the, the, the properties that God put in. Maybe that's the wrong word, and I'm sorry. I don't mean to sound callous. But because of, 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 uh, the, because of the strength that God put within 
the woman because of the characteristics that God put within the woman. And so today we honor not only the fact that, yeah, we have a mom, but we honor a warrior. We honor a soldier. We honor the one that has stood up for us. We honor the one who has gone to bat for us even when we were dumb. We honor the one that has pulled us in line. We honor the one who has prayed for us. We honor the one that has stood beside us. We honor the one that has led us. We honor mom today. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. And I'm proud to have virtuous women in my life. I'm proud to have a virtuous wife and mother of my kids in, in my life. I'm proud to have a virtuous mother and a, a virtuous mother-in-law and a virtuous grandmother and, and to set such an example. And I can know this, that my daughter one day will fit right into this category because of the example that's set for her. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. I want to take just a second today, and I want to pray over moms. And I know this may be out of order, but I don't know. I, I guess I get to make the order. So, um, so it is in order. And um, so if you're a mother today, and we have a gift for you after service, um, and it's, it's like chocolate and stuff, so that's why I didn't give it to you during service. Because for one, everybody's going to want some, and it's your choice whether you share it or not. But there's a lot of pressure if they're saying, hey, can I have some? So, and, and the second reason is you're going to be thirsty. You're going to eat it. You're going to be thirsty. I didn't provide a drink for you. So we're trying to take care of you today. But what I want to do is uh, I want, if you're a mother today, I want you to stand up. I'm just going to pray a corporate prayer over you today. And if you're not a mother, I want you to reach out, and I want you to, to extend your hand towards mothers. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus for all these mothers that we have in here. God, I pray that you are continuing to give them strength. God, I pray that you are continuing to give them wisdom, that you're continuing to give them joy in the name of Jesus. God, that, you're, that you are not, uh, that, that, that the plans and the purposes that you have for them are only increasing every single day and wherever they're at, at any stage in their life. God, I thank you for what has been accomplished, but we look forward to what is going to continue to be accomplished. God, I pray for their children. I pray for their grandchildren. I pray for their husbands. God, I thank you that you have blessed us with them. And so, God, as we stand here today and we honor mothers, today we stand together in unity and we honor them the way that you honor them. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for putting up with us. Uh, I would like to say that I'm easy to put up with, but maybe the ladies in my life would say differently. I don't know. But we're not going to ask. We're just going to keep that part to ourselves today. Amen. Praise God. Who's cooking for their wives today? You cooking for your wives today and your moms? A couple of y'all. The rest of y'all better get after it. <laughs> Telling you what. If your mom's not here today, but, um, but your mom is, uh, is still with us on this earth, then um, give her a call today and uh, make sure that you honor her the best way that you know how. Amen? Praise God. We've been talking about, we started last week talking about all of me and what this means. And, and this picture is really indicative of the picture that, that God gave me. Now, it's becoming summer, and, and I don't know how many of you guys like to swim. I'm kind of on the fence with swimming, right? I've had some, I've had some good, I haven't like almost drowned or anything like that, but I've like, I've, I've had some experiences with swimming that I'm like, eh, maybe I'm not, I'm not that good of a swimmer. I know that when you, when you look at me, you think, man, I thought that was Michael Phelps up there, the way those abs just like, <laughs> right? I know that's what you thought, but it's not true. So 
I just, I want to be transparent today, all right? I want to be truthful. You know, I, I always wanted to be a diver. I mean, I'm not really, like, really, really wanted. It's not like I woke up in the middle of the night thinking, man, it'd be sure great to... Uh, to just do a cool dive. But you could turn on the Olympics, right? And you see those people and they're like flipping, they fall in the water, it's like no splash. And you're like, how in the world? I tried to dive a, f- a few times in my life. I've tried to dive. And uh, you get up there and you feel super confident and you're like ready to go. And you're like, all right, this is what I'm gonna do. Right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go for it. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna, and I'm gonna go. Here's what I'm gonna do. Right? And so what ends up happening, usually you end up like, like this dude down here. Right? This is what you end up doing? Like that guy? I don't know. I mean, maybe you're a diver. I'm not. And so I think when we go after God, a lot of times, and maybe you saw this last week, but a lot of times it looks like these things. Going after God looks like this. How my friends think it has to look. We've got to do it together. If we're going to do it, we're doing it together. The problem is that sometimes our friends pull us back and hold us back, and they think that if we're not doing it right with them, then we're wrong. They think that we've got to make sure that we're where they are. We think we're better than them. Now, I'm not saying that you need to leave all your friends behind, but I'm saying this, that if your friends aren't willing to go after God at the same level that you are, then maybe you need to check how much time and influence you're allowing them to have in your life. What are you willing to do? So going after God, my friends think we have to do it right together. My critics always think I'm not working hard enough. My critics, they think that I'm not doing it right no matter what I do. My critics are always going to bring up the dumb thing that I did in my past and expect it to always affect my future. My critics expect me to work really hard. My fear looks like that guy. Maybe without all the tone, right? My fear looks like this guy. I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to go, I think. But then all of a sudden, eh, maybe not. My relationship thinks it has to look like this. Where it's all like, what do you call that thing right there? I don't remember what that's called. Chicken. That's right. Who said that, Elijah? My, my, my relationship thinks it's got to look like this, where we are just, we're, we're moving forward together. How many times have we started in a relationship and we think we're going to go all after God together and then all of a sudden we both move apart from God together? And then we wonder why things are messed up in our relationship, Right? That's what my relationship thinks it has to look like. My mind thinks it has to be perfect like this guy right over here. My mind thinks it has to be perfect tuck, fold out, no splash. And if I can't do it that way, then I am not going to do it. Right? My mind puts so much pressure. This is how it looks most of the time. We get all ready, and you know what we're going to end up doing? Just a big old belly flop. That's what we're going to end up doing. You're going to be all red. It's going to go pow. And somebody's going to go, oh, right? That's how it looks most of the time. But you know what? That's all right. That's all right. Because if I get all of what God has for me, I don't care what it looks like. I think the most efficient form of getting all of what God has for you, let's go back to the first picture. Yeah, it's right here, is the cannonball. I think the cannonball, if, if this is God and this is us, I think this is the most efficient way. I'm not going to think about it too much. I'm just going to run. I'm going to grab my knees and I'm going to get everybody wet all around me. That's the most efficient way. Now, you can sit there and lie to me and say that you don't enjoy a good cannonball. Now, maybe you haven't done one in a long time, but don't lie to me. A cannonball is fun. Right? You have never done a cannonball and said, man, I really regret that. What happens when you hit the water? You got a big old smile on your face. You got all your vavas running out of your mouth. Right? You do it because you took in a little bit because you're all. 
right? That was my impression of taking on water. Did you like that? That was pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm thinking about a Vegas show, actually. So this is how it looks most of the time. Let's go to John 3.16, which is our, our theme scripture. And this is the most famous scripture in the entire Bible. And I think the reason why it is is because it sums up what the entire meaning of scripture is. And you can go to something else over here unless you want to leave. I don't care what you do, honestly. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Last week we talked about four things that we want to see through this verse. Number one, God gave his only begotten son or the only one at that time that was truly out of him and that encompassed everything that he was. For God so loved this world, he loved us so much that he gave the only thing that was 100% him to us. It says that whosoever believes or has an unwavering conviction, whoever confesses the lordship of Jesus, whoever says, I can't do this on my own, Jesus, I need your help. For God so loved this world, he gave 100% of himself so that everyone who has an unwavering conviction in him would not perish or be destroyed, but have everlasting life or a never-ending, never-changing breath of fresh air for every single moment of every single day and every single situation for the rest of the life here and the life to come. There's a lot in that, you guys. God so loved this world that he gave 100% of himself, that whosoever has an unwavering conviction in him will not be destroyed, but they'll have a breath of fresh air for every moment in every situation forever and ever. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. And so I fast forward here from the time God wrote this to right now. And I look at my life and I look at your life and I think, do we every moment of every day experience that? What it says in John 3.16. Well, we know that God loved this world. That didn't change. We know that he gave his only begotten son. That didn't change. But it says, whoever believes in him, Christians, right? Christians would not be destroyed, but you'll have everlasting life. So let me ask you this. Are we walking in everlasting life? Are we walking in a breath of fresh air? Are we taking that breath? I was watching a show the other day, um, Lost in Space. And maybe you remember the show, the, the old show, uh, Lost in Space. I don't know at, at what point that was on TV. But, and they've got a, a reboot on Netflix. And um, the, the, the short of it is, I'm not going to go way into the show, obviously. But the, the, the family here, the, the Robinsons, they crash land on this foreign planet and they've got their oxygen tanks and they've got their, their helmets and they're trying to conserve oxygen. And then through a series of events, they realize that the air is fine to breathe. And so they take off their helmets and they breathe in. I think there's so many of us that we're going through a trial in our life and we're trying to conserve oxygen instead of recognizing that every moment of every day, God gave us another breath of fresh air. Every moment of every day, he's like, I got you. You just breathe. Let me go take care of your stuff. You just focus on breathing, all right? Anybody have an Apple Watch? It reminds you to breathe? Your Apple Watch? I get a notification. I'm like, what's funny is I have one, and Tiffany has one, and Brooklyn has one. If we're all together, you can tell. We're all together, we're like... At one time, oh, it was reminding us to breathe. And I think that means it wants you to take a break, take a breath of fresh air, calm down a little bit. I think that's what, it, but I, it's always funny to me because I'm like, yeah, I, I remembered. I remembered to breathe. I was good on that one. Remind me of my appointment that I'm about to miss, but I remembered to breathe. Every moment of every day, he gives us a breath of fresh air. He gave us all of him. 
100%. God gave us 100% of him. And he wants the same from us. The scripture says that he's a jealous God. He wants 100% of us. Why is that? Because as long as you're holding something back, you're not being consumed by him. As long as you're holding something back, then you've got an area in your life where God is not allowed, where the enemy is allowed to kind of do his thing in you. He wants all of you, not just part of you. He wants all of you. Too often, we're just dipping our feet in God. Too often, we're just, we're just touching the surface. We're just like, I'm just going to put my feet in. I'm just going to chill here. You guys swim. I'm just going to put my feet in, and we think we're going to be okay. Too often, we just dip our feet in because we think it's complicated, or we just dip our feet in because we're not ready, or we need to deal with some stuff first. And he's saying, just jump in. Just, just do it. If you'll just give me all of you, then you'll recognize that I already gave you all of me. And we can change some things. So we read this story of Naaman, and I'm going to put my notes up here, and you're going to kind of be able to read them and kind of not. But this is a recap from last week, and then we'll get to go on. But it says, now Naaman, he was commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because the Lord had given victory to Syria. It says he was also a mighty man of valor, and he was also a leper. So we learn some things about Naaman. We've never seen him before in the scripture. We don't see him after this. But what we know about him is just these few sentences, couple of sentences right here at the top of this chapter. It says Naaman was an honorable man. Now, why was he an honorable man? Because the Lord brought victory through him to Syria. God had worked in his life. That's an important thing because so many of us, God has worked in our life before. We've seen God work. We've seen his power. We've experienced his goodness. Just like Naaman, people would look at us and say, that's an honorable person. And they equate us with victories that we've won in Christ. But it says that Naaman, even in spite of all these things, he was a leper. Now, a little bit that we didn't get to go into last week about leprosy. Just a little bit about what leprosy, now it's not really a problem anymore. I looked it up on the World Health website and there's about 180,000 people in the entire world today that have leprosy. But it's mentioned over 40 times in the scripture. And so it was obviously quite a problem in this day and age. How many thank God that he's given men and women wisdom to be able to treat diseases? Amen? Praise God. Praise God. I'm thankful that God has given us modern medicine so that we can be more healthy. Amen? Praise God. Did you know that God can work through that pill? Did you know that? That's not what we're talking about today, but I don't want you to ever be condemned or, or feel like your faith is less. See, that's a thing that the church has said that is completely in error. Because I believe that God has given men and women wisdom to be able to treat you. Amen? To be able to improve your life, to be able to cure diseases. Leprosy was a big problem then. We don't even hear about it now. And it's treatable. And when you look it up, if you Google leprosy, it says it's 100% curable. But in that day and age, it was not, right? Amen. So he says here that Naaman was also a leper. So a couple of things about leprosy. It can be spread. It's highly contagious. And the way that it's spread is somebody sneezing or something like that and the molecules being airborne. And I'm sorry, if you're in, a, in the medical profession, I am totally not, all right? But I've stayed at Holiday Inn, and so I feel like I have the uh, expertise to be able to explain this to you on a very deep level, okay? I may use the wrong terminology, but you're going to get it. So it's spread airborne. You come in contact with it, and the Bible says, not the Bible, the Google, the Google box says that, um, that it can lay dormant inside your body, incubating for three to five years, or it could be all the way up to 20 years. 
Three to five years are all the way up to 20 years before it even reveals itself. And so what they say is that it's 100% treatable and curable, but if you ever come in contact with leprosy, then immediately go and get antibiotics. And you do that, it'll kill it, you're good. You might not even know you have it for like 10 years. I think it speaks a lot to the human condition Because things that we know we've come in contact with, what about the hurt in your life that you come in contact with? What about the pain in your life that you've come in contact with? What about the mistakes in your past that you've done that you just kind of bury and you never deal with? What about that person, that boyfriend you had, that girlfriend you had that just ran you through the ringer? What about that relationship that you had or you didn't have with your parents? What do we do? A lot of times we just suppress those things. We push them way down deep. We don't want to deal with them. We know that we came in contact with them. What does it say about leprosy? When you come in contact with it, it's treatable. Go and get it taken care of. When those things happen in your life and they're brought to the surface, don't wait around. Don't press them down. Go and get it taken care of. If you run to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm hurting, I'm broken, I'm struggling, I need your help. Come on, I've got to have you. And he says, my restoration is on you. My resurrecting power is on you to heal those broken places, to mend those broken places in your life. And you can rise up above this and it's not ever going to be a problem. But what happens? This guy, he was an honorable man. The Lord had given victory to him, but he was a leper. And then we have this servant girl who comes to Naaman, and she said, if you were just with my master, if you were with the prophet, if you were just with the prophet in Israel, then you could be healed. Maybe you didn't know that you had hurts in your life. Maybe it's a testimony of somebody else. Maybe it's your testimony that's reaching out to somebody else. Maybe it's saying, you know what, I had that problem too. But I ran to the throne of Jesus. And when I ran to the throne of Jesus, Jesus mended me and he can mend you too. Maybe your testimony is the miracle that somebody else needs. That's what this girl was. She was a servant girl. It must have not been easy for her to talk to Naaman, her master, that way. To go in to say, do you want to be well? If you want to be well, you can run to Jesus. You can run to the prophet, which was a type of Jesus. It can be your miracle. It can be your miracle. So Naaman did. Let's go to the next one. It says here on the next one, there it is. The king of Israel. It said, now be advised that this letter comes to you. I didn't want to read any of that. Let's skip that part. Let's go on. It says, he came to Elisha's house. This is good. He came to Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger saying, go and wash. You can't read this word right here, but it says, in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. See, another thing about leprosy is it gives you sores on the outside, but it attacks your nervous system on the inside. See, this for Naaman, it was not just a physical thing. This was a spiritual thing that he had to overcome to move forward in his life. And so many of us, we go through life and we're not experiencing anything on the outside, but it's laying dormant on the inside. And once it becomes evident in our flesh, it's already been attacking our nervous system on the inside. And we're spiritually beaten and broken and bruised. He goes, he says, wash in the Jordan River seven times. Two things about the Jordan River that I want to point out. First of all, remember the children of Israel, before they entered into the promised land, they had to cross the Jordan River, right? They had to cross over the Jordan River, and it was parted. They they crossed on dry land. They built an altar to God so that they would always remember what God had done for them there at the Jordan River. But number two, Jesus had to be baptized in the Jordan River before he could do his earthly ministry. Jesus had to be baptized in the Jordan. So the word Jordan, it means to descend down upon. To rain down, to come down. And it's symbolic of the power of God descending down from heaven upon us. 
And so when we see the Jordan River, we can take it as God is descending down on us. Well, he was told by the prophet, Naaman was told by the prophet to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. Seven is the number of completion. We also see in Proverbs 24 that the just or the righteous may fall seven times, but they'll rise again. I want you to wash in the Jordan River seven times. That was important. It couldn't be six because then it wouldn't be complete. It had to be seven. I want you to wash in the Jordan River seven times. And so this is what Naaman did. He was furious and he went away. Indeed, I said to myself, well, surely he's going to come to me. This is the prophet of God. And he's going to wave his hand all over the place and he's going to heal the leprosy. Right? This is what, how many times do we get in our mind how God is going to come and bring our answer to us and we're not satisfied with anything else? The prophet said, yeah, you can be clean, that's fine, I want you to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. Psh, Jordan River. Couldn't he just go like, oh, Thanos snap and you're clean, right? I don't know. Guy's like got an infinity gauntlet right here. He could just snap and it'd just be done, Right? Sorry, if you're not a fan. Maybe you just thought it was really dumb, and you're like, surely he's not going to be like this the whole time, right? <laughs> so it says that Naaman, he was furious. He said, wasn't he just going to wave his hand? Now, we said this last week. I can't pronounce the names of these rivers. You can't either. And you can't even really see them on there. And so I'm just going to say what I think they are. And um, whatever you think, you can keep it to yourself. And uh, maybe you think I'm, I'm like, that was the dumbest pronunciation of I, I've ever heard. And that's okay. But it doesn't matter. It matters what it means. It says, are not the Abana and the Farfar, right? Farpar or something. I don't know how to say it. Farpar. Rivers. Is that what we said last week? Farpar? Right, Farpar, is that what we settled on? We settled on Farpar, all right. The Abana and the Farpar rivers, aren't they better than the rivers, and the, than the Jordan River? And when we look at the definitions of those two rivers, my gosh, the Abana River means to build, and the Farpar River, it means to divide. And when I read those, it came alive to me. Because I began to realize that over and over and over again, in order to be clean from the condition that we've got, from our hurts, from our pain, in order to be clean from our past, in order to be clean from our addictions, in order to be clean from our toxic relationships, we continue to wash ourselves by working harder and the things that we built we continue to wash ourselves by separating ourselves from the problem. We continue to wash ourselves in these rivers that are not making us clean. They're not making us clean. They're just covering it up. See, Naaman, he had to go and wash in the Jordan River. He couldn't wash in the accomplishments. What was his accomplishments? Well, we see here that Naaman was an honorable man because he had won great victory. He couldn't wash in that accomplishment. It wasn't going to make him clean. He couldn't separate himself from the problem and it was all going to go away and everything was going to be good. It wasn't going to work that way. He was like, can I wash in these things and still be clean? Look, isn't this water better? It's less painful. Isn't this water better? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Some of us are so religious that we're trying to wash in works to be clean. We're trying to work harder. We're trying to do more. Some of us are so caught up. We're so, we're so broken. Some of us are so distraught. Some of us are so embarrassed that we're just trying to separate ourselves and squash it way down. Some of us are afraid of dealing with the hurt. But I want you to understand this, that if you'll take the hurt head on, if you'll deal with the hurt, God has empowered you to overcome the hurt.
See, you're not dealing with it just on your own anymore. God is descending down. And when you're washing every single time, you're washing in that Jordan River, God is descending down. And God is cleansing you, and you're going to be clean. It says Naaman turned away in rage. And then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, if the prophet would have told you to do something great, you would have done it. But when he said to you, just wash and be clean, Blaine spoke today when he was talking about offering, and he said that giving is not hard. Tithing is not hard. See, God is not going to ask you to do anything that you can't do. He's empowered you to do those things. So it says that Naaman went down. He dipped seven times in the Jordan. According to what the man of God said, it says, and his flesh was restored, and he was clean. And then he said, indeed, now I know. Now I know. I think this is very telling, and we don't have time to get way into it today. In fact, I'm recapping, and I'm almost out of time. But I think this is very interesting because it says, now I know. See, Naaman was a God-fearing man. God had worked through his life. But only now does he know that there is only one God in Israel. And it's the one true God, almighty God. There's, there's only one God. He says, now I know. I think it's interesting because he was a God-fearing man. How many of us, we follow God. We want God to work in our life. We want to see God's power in our life. We have seen God work in our life. But when it comes to certain things, man, we really have problems trusting God. When it comes to certain things, we've got blocks and we really have problems giving our all. We really have problems going all in. For Naaman, it took him being clean. Once he was clean, he said, now I know. Now I know. My faith is stronger now. My faith is stronger now. I take an encouragement from that to know that, man, my faith may be weak sometimes. But I know this, that if I just continue to obey, if I just continue to follow God, then my faith gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Now I know. And then he says, please take a gift from your servant. Please take a gift from your servant. And he gives this to the prophet. Now, at first, the prophet declined. And then he said, well, I'm going to give to your servants then. I'm, gonna, I'm going to make sure that I give. I'm going to make sure that I give. Why was it so important? And this is where we're going to focus today for about the next 15 minutes or less. How do we focus on the gift. See, Naaman, it was a natural expression of his gratitude, a natural expression of his love. You could say it this way. It was a natural response to what God had done for him to give and to not take no for an answer. A natural response to our becoming clean is our generosity. And I would submit to you this, that you cannot be fully clean until you become fully generous. You cannot be fully clean until you become fully generous. Let's go to Luke chapter 18, and you can look it up on your phones or whatever, but go to it. I'm just going to show you a few things here. Luke chapter 18, we'll start in verse 18. Jesus is talking to a young man here. And he goes and he sees this young man. He's talking one-on-one. -on -one. And this man, he has some serious questions for Jesus. He was a ruler. Uh, the Bible doesn't say what he was a ruler of. We don't know. But he had attained some kind of status and I would bet that this guy had seen Jesus in the multitudes. He had heard Jesus' teachings. And he had some serious questions. He was trying to do right with everything he had. And he goes to Jesus and he says this. 
He says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Pretty straightforward, right? Good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit? I've heard you talk about it, so what do I need to do? I'm willing, I'll do, I'll do what it, what it takes. And Jesus, he starts off by gauging where the guy is. He looks at him and he said, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? I think this is really telling here. He says, why do you call me good? There's no one except for God that's good. This is telling where the, the, the young man's understanding was because he was looking at it as Jesus is good, meaning Jesus is good, maybe I'm not, or Jesus is good, I'm good, how do we get to the next level? And Jesus says, whoa, 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 why didn't you call me good? There's no one good except for God. In other words, in and of yourself, you can try your best to be good. It's not gonna work. You're not good. God is good. And the only way that you can be good is by surrendering yourself to God, and God through you is good. So he was judging where the person was, where this young man was in his life, in his understanding, in his thinking. And then he said, look, you know the commandments. Say, do not commit adultery, do not murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. You know those things. And the young man said, whoa, 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 all those things, I've kept all those things from my youth. In other words, you got your commandments, I've kept your commandments. Now we know that that was a false view of himself, right? Because there's no way that from the time he was a young boy that he had kept every commandment. There's no way. But then Jesus looked at him and he said, okay, you say you kept them, I'm not gonna challenge you on that, but there's one thing that you lack. I think that's important because when we look at ourselves, no matter where you're at in your life, when you sit right here today in these chairs, or watching online, wherever you're at, no matter where you're at, there's always gonna be one thing that you lack. There's always going to be one thing that you lack. This man, he was like, I've kept them all. I kept every commandment. Jesus was like, well, there's one thing that you lack. We will never reach a point here on earth in this life that there's not one thing that we lack. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need him. That's why we need his perfection. That's why we always need to be growing and striving for Christ to be revealed in us. That's why we can't look down on somebody else for the one thing that they lack. And the reason why I say it's one thing is because I believe this, that if God just revealed to me everything that I need to change in my life, I would be overwhelmed. I'd be like, I'm out. Right? So God, reveal yourself in me. Reveal Christ in me. I say this frequently in my life. Jesus wrote in the book of Revelation, he said, uh, you think that you're fine and, and you have everything that you need, but you're putting your money in pockets full of holes. He says, I want you to buy gold from me that's been refined in the fire so that you may be pure. As long as you've got an impurity, then you don't have God's best. I want you to buy gold from me that's pure. And so I say frequently in my own prayer time, God, I want to be pure. God, I want to be refined in the fire. God, I want to buy your gold, not somebody else's. I don't want to just think that I'm fine and everything is going along good. God, I want to be better. God, I want Christ to be revealed in me every single day. God, I want to love the way that you love. I want to love my fellow man and see them the way you see them, not through the eyes of my brokenness, but through your eyes, your healing power. That's how I want to see the world. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at right now, but I want to grow. And if we want to grow, there's always going to be one thing that we lack. And so God reveals that to us. And then he begins to reveal Christ in that area of our life. And then I guarantee you, you feel like you have a handle on that. Well, it's just my temper. Okay, get your temper under control. God's going to reveal himself to you in that He's gonna reveal his self-control that's inside of you because the fruit of the Spirit is in you. And one of those fruits of the Spirit is patience. 
So I'm not going to just fly off the handle anymore. One of those, those uh, fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So I'm not going to not be able to control it anymore because Christ is going to be revealed in me. And once you feel like you have a handle on that and you say, God, reveal yourself in me. I want to buy gold from you. He's going to say, well, there's one thing that you lack. There's one thing that you lack. What have you done for your fellow man? Well, I haven't hit him because you helped me with that. Right? You see what I'm saying here? As we move forward with Christ, there's always going to be one thing where Christ is being revealed in us. So he looks at the young man and he says this, one thing that you lack. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, I think it's really important to note here that the problem with this young man is not that he had money or riches. Now, that's been taught sometimes, and it's 100% in error. Jesus did not have a problem with the fact that this guy had money. The problem that he had was that money had this guy. Money had this guy. And it's possible to have money without it having you. Amen? Do you believe that today? Do we really believe that today? Because I think the majority of the church doesn't believe that. It's possible for you to have money without money having you. Jesus wouldn't have told him if it wasn't possible. But he says, one thing you lack, I want you to take all that you have, I want you to give it to the poor. And the man said he was very sorrowful. It doesn't say anything. It says the man was very sorrowful. Because he was very rich. See, it wasn't the possessions. It wasn't that this guy had stuff. It was that the stuff had him. And I believe this, that God uses generosity and giving as a mechanism to bring freedom in your life. Because the scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil. But contrary to popular opinion, it does not say that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of it. Does it have you or does it not? Does it have you? Does it control you? You can be broke and love money. Did you know that? You can be broke and love money. Money can have you. See, it prevents you from being all in. It prevents you from giving all of yourself to God if you're hung up. See, this guy right here, he was following after God. He cared enough to pull Jesus aside and say, I have a question because I want to gain eternal life, because I want to be all in, because I want you to have all of me. I want that. And so when he pulls Jesus aside, Jesus says, well, here's what you got to do. You know the commandments. And he said, well, I've already followed all the commandments. He said, well, there's still one thing. There's still one thing. There's still something that has a control of you. There's still something that you're unwilling to give up. I need you to give it up. And so let's take money out of the equation for a second. Sometimes when we go after God and we say we want to be clean, God says, well, you need to do these things. And you're like, well, I can go in and I can wash in the Jordan River. I can go. We don't know anything about Naaman's life after he washed in the Jordan River, except that he gave. Except that he gave. Because he was like, God has done something amazing in me. And if God has done that in me, then the natural expression is that all of me is his. All of me is his. And so I give. Taking money out of the equation, what are you sitting there holding on to that has you? Maybe it's money and possessions. Maybe it's relationships. God, you have all of me. Until somebody sends me that sweet text message and calls me the right words, and then they have all of me. They made me feel a certain way, and then they have all of me. And you didn't give it to God, and then you wonder why you're not clean. 
What's all right? Because we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this right. We're gonna come to church and, and we're gonna do the whole God thing. And okay, but did you give it to him? But did you say, God, you have this relationship? Did you say, God, I understand that you're first and nothing else is? God, you have, you have everything, and I want you to meet my needs. Well, God says, well, here's this opportunity, and all of a sudden, the opportunity has you instead of God having you. God, I want you to work in my family. And then all of a sudden, time with your family has you instead of God having you. And you're still not clean. And you still have the same problems that you had before because God doesn't have all of you. Yeah, we suppress it for a little while. But then it starts to rear its ugly head once again. And we go through this cycle over and over and over in our life where we're like all about God and then we're all about something else and then everything falls apart and then we're all about God and then we're all about something else. And he says, I just want all of you. I just want all of you. And you can have all those other things. But I just want all of you. I've just got to have it. And the root of this is, and I'm going to close with this. I didn't get done, but it's all right. I got one more. The root of it, the root of why it's so important to God, we see it right in the very first couple words in John 3, 16, for God so loved this world. For God so loved this world. God so loved me. For God so loved you. God so loved you through your addictions. God so loved you through your pain. God so loved you through your hurt. God so loved you through your suffering. He loved you so much that he gave Jesus so you don't have to be addicted anymore. He gave Jesus so you don't have to be hurt anymore. He gave Jesus so that you don't have to suffer anymore and be in pain anymore. Jesus took on himself all of your pain, all of your suffering, all of your addiction, all of your hurt, he took it on him and he put it to death and he rose again so that you don't have to go through it anymore. That's what the root of this whole thing is. He said, I had to give all of me. I had to give it all because there was no other way. But in response, you have to give all of you because there's no other way. Because if you hold on, then you're going to have the same pain that you had before. If you hold on, it's just going to come back over and over and over again. And I gave too much for that. I gave too much for you to still be hurting. You can go wash yourself in the other rivers if you want to. But you're not going to be clean. You're not going to be clean I want you to take all that you have. I want you to give it to the poor. It wasn't about the possessions. It was about the mechanism. It was about the vehicle in which this young man needed to be free. If you want freedom, give it all. Give it all. Bringing it back to finances, guys. I've been broke and I gave. I've had money and I gave. We see a story of a woman in Luke chapter 21. It says that there were a lot of people in the church and they were given a lot of money. And this woman came in and she gave two mites. Sometimes we say that's a fraction of a penny what she gave. Well, a mite is a one is one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. One sixty-fourth of a day's wage. So in today's terms, two mites was about two bucks. Not much money. She was very poor. She went in and she put two mites in, in the offering. 
And Jesus said that she gave more than everybody else because she gave out of what she had. She gave it all. And in fact, the scripture says it just this way. It says, I truly say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all. All these out of their abundance have put in offering for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. She went all in. Again, we don't know anything else about this woman. But I have to think this. That she recognized that God went all in for her. So she went all in. She went all in. She said, God, as far as my finances go, this is all of me. But it doesn't have me. So here you go. Here's all of me. Guys, we're going to expand this just a little bit more and wrap it up next week. But I think it's so important as pastor, as shepherd, as leader, I want you to walk in all of what God has for you. Some of you may have trouble believing this or understanding it. Guys, when you hurt, I hurt. Because this is one of the things that I've asked God for. I've said, God, help me to love like you love. Now, if I pretended today that I understood that on even a medium level, I would be kidding, kidding myself, kidding yourself. That's what I almost said. But I can say this, that as Christ begins or continues to be revealed in me, I understand more the way that he feels. And the reason I'm so passionate about these things is because I don't want you to go through these things. I don't want me to go through these things. I, that's the heart of God. It's the heart of God. But I believe in the institution of the church. I believe in the body of Christ. I believe in the power that's here in this room. I believe that the chains that are on you can be broken and they can stay off and we join together as a unit, as a body, as a family. And we make sure that we're not chained up again. I believe in that. I believe that both individually and collectively, if we will give all of ourselves, that we will see God's power in a way that we've never seen him before. He's not asking you to do anything that you can't do. He's empowered you to overcome. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that your life is living in us. I thank you that you have given us everything that we need to be successful in this life. I'm going to ask you to do this with me today. If you're in this room and, and you're, a, you're a Christian, you've accepted Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior. If you haven't, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a second. But if you have, and if you're willing today, and I don't want you to, to feel pressure or feel, feel any obligation, but if you're willing today, then I'd like you, just where you're at right now, I want you to just have a little prayer. Here's what I want you to pray. 
I want you to pray for Christ to be revealed in you. In those areas where you're not all in, I want him to reveal them to you. Ask him to reveal them to you. And we're doing this with the thought in mind that once he reveals these things to you, then you're going to make the adjustments. Now here's what we're not saying. God, from this moment forward, I'm gonna be perfect. We're not saying that. We're saying from this moment forward, I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna move past the things that have held me down and I'm gonna move forward with you the way that you instruct. Now I could stand here and I could say, you need to change this in your life, but I don't know your heart, God does. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know that in order to change the thing that, that is the glaring thing that, we, that, that maybe is apparent, that you've gotta change something else in order to get to that. Does that make sense? Maybe you gotta do a little behind the scenes work. There again, that's why we're not qualified to be judged. I'm not qualified. But if you choose today, ask for Christ to be revealed in you in a stronger way. so that you can grow in Him. Now here's part two of that instruction. I said just a moment ago that I believe in the institution of the church and I believe in the power that it holds. I believe the power of the body of Christ. And so as you feel comfortable, I want you to find someone, whoever that is, someone that you trust. This isn't 10 people. This isn't social media worthy. Social media doesn't deserve this power in your life. I want you to find one person, two, three max, no more, that you trust. And I want you to ask them to help you along this journey that Christ revealed this to you, whatever it is. And I'd like to ask you to pray with me or I'd like to ask you to help me on this journey. See, because we need each other. I believe that we need each other, but I don't believe that everybody needs to know your business. making ourselves a little vulnerable here, aren't we? It's okay. It's okay. Because sometimes we're more concerned with guarding ourselves than we are with getting clean. Jesus was vulnerable for us. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that now. See, a moment ago, many of us, we said, we're all in. We, we're going to give all of ourselves. And now it's your turn. We talked extensively today about the price that Jesus paid for you. wants you in return and what we're doing when we receive Christ again we're not saying I pledge to be perfect for the rest of my life what you're doing is you're saying I understand that I'm not perfect and so I need the perfect one the Savior to come into my life to help me be better to put it more bluntly the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And it says that the price that ultimately has to pay for that sin is death. But Jesus came and he gave us life. And what we're saying is I can't beat death on my own. So I am going to align myself with the one who beat death. 
So if that's you today, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And whether you're watching online or you're here in this room, I don't need you to come up or anything like that. I just want to say a prayer with you. And I want to invite everybody in here to say it with us as a show of support to those who maybe haven't. See, we're a family in here. So say this, say, Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose again. And I ask you to come into my life to help me and to change me. And I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website. And we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us and remember that God is madly in love with you.